0: I would like to welcome those joining us online today. Man, we've had a lot of people not feeling well. And I'm grateful for online campus that they can still engage with what we're doing. Uh, we need to be praying for healing. We need to get some healthy bodies. We need it in our house. And uh, we've been praying that over your homes as well. Healing in Jesus' name. Well, Soren Kirkgard he wrote a parable about the coming of Jesus. We talked about that last week. It's called The King in Disguise. And I'd like to share that with you this morning because I think it's a great insight into what it meant for Jesus to come. He writes, "...once upon a time there was a prince who was single and very eager to marry a lovely maiden for his future queen. Near his palace was a large city, and often he rode his carriage down to the city to take care of various chores for his father. And one day to reach a particular merchant, he had to go through a rather poor section. He happened to glance out the window and ride right into the eyes of a beautiful maiden." He had on occasion the next few days to return to the section of city, drawn as he was by the eyes of the maiden. And more than that, he had the good fortune once or twice to actually meet this young girl. Soon he began to feel that he was in love with her. But now he had a problem. How should he proceed to procure her hand? Of course, he could order her to the palace and their proposed marriage, but even a prince would like to feel that the girl he marries wants to marry him. Or perhaps somewhat more graciously, he could arrive at her door in his most resplendent uniform and with a bow ask her hand. But even a prince wants to marry for love. Again, he could masquerade as a peasant and try to gain her interest. After he proposed, he could pull off his mask. Still, the masquerade would be phony. He really couldn't manage it. So finally, a real solution presented itself to his mind. He would give up his kingly role and move into her neighborhood. There he would take up work as, say, a carpenter. During his work in the day and during his time off in the evening he would get acquainted with the people, begin to share their interests and concerns, begin to talk their language. And in due time, should fortune be with him, he would make her acquaintance in a natural way. And she should, should she come to love him as he had already come to love her, then he would ask for her hand in marriage. Over time, she did fall in love with the carpenter. She adored him. She believed in all her heart that he was poor, simple, and common. And she loved him like that. And so one day he proposed marriage, and she accepted. He still didn't tell her he was a prince, Assumed to be king. He simply told her to put on a beautiful dress, and on a particular day, he would come and pick her up, and then he would take her to the wedding. He would take care of all the details and surprise her. How many brides would say, yes, that's the kind of man I want to marry? <laughs> so she was there with her family and her friends, and an army of chariots and soldiers and banners and musicians. Thousands upon thousands showed up. They picked up this girl from the poor section of town, and they carried right through the palace gates, trumpets blaring right down the aisle. And seated on the throne, she saw the prince, her soon-to-be husband. She got off her chariot. She walked up to the prince and he told her, I wanted you to love me, not because I was going to be king, but I wanted you to love me simply for the sake of loving me. Then I could show you that I was the soon-coming king, and I would know that your love for me would always be true. You know, Jesus did the same thing for us. He came in an unexpected way. A humble, simple, regular, normal way as a regular guy from a regular town with a regular mom and a regular dad, living a regular life, but being God. The world did not recognize him. They actually rejected him. When you think about his coming, here's what John chapter 1 says. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. They said, we're waiting for a king. And Jesus says... I am a king, and if you love me, I'll take you to the palace. But love me first. He loves you, and he wants your love, but freely and voluntarily. So Jesus doesn't want to force that upon you. He could have ordered it, but is that love? He could have appeared to you in kingly glory, and you'd be awed with such splendor. But he wanted to win your love without dazzle and overwhelming you with the magnificence of his divinity. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians. He says, Though he was by nature God, he did not consider being equal with God a thing to be clung to. But he emptied himself, taking the nature of a slave and being made like unto men and appearing in the form of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's who Jesus is. You know, but the world so often says we will not receive a common, poor, simple Jesus. We're waiting for something better. And then he rose from the dead. What a king! God meets you on the level where you're at so that you can respond to his love freely. And every day is a great day to respond to his love, to celebrate his goodness. And as we dive further into Luke chapter 2 today, I want you to begin to ask yourself, will I give wholehearted response to Jesus? Will I find the peace, the wholeness, the shalom that my soul longs for? Will I commit myself to the king and celebrate the relationship that I have with him? My prayer is that you find answers to those questions this morning. So we're going to examine several scripture passages today. I'm going to include both Luke and Matthew. And as we do that, we'll come to the understanding that encountering Jesus should cause you to celebrate God. When you encounter the king of kings, something should happen within you. And we're going to look at some of those responses this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to continue where we left off last week, so we'll be reading verses 8 through 21. And I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today. We stand simply out of reverence to know that God's Word is among us. Thank you, God, for sending your Word for instruction. We're thankful for that. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. So we're going to have it read in German first, and then we'll go to English. See what words you can catch up in German this morning.
1: Und es waren Hirten in derselben Gegend auf dem Felde, bei den Hürden die hüteten des Nebs des Nachts ihre Herder und der Engel des Herrn trat zu ihnen und die Klarheit des Herrn leuchtete um sie und sie fürchteten sich sehr und der Engel sprach zu ihnen fürchtet euch nicht Ehre sei Gott in der Höhe und Friede auf Erden bei den Menschen seines Wohlgefallens. Und als die Engel von ihnen gen Himmel fuhren, sprachen die Hirten untereinander, lasst uns nun gehen nach Bethlehem und die Geschichte sehen, die da geschehen ist, die uns der Herr kundgetan hat. Und sie kamen eilend und fanden beide, Maria und Josef, dazu das Kind in der Krippe liegen." Als sie aber gesehen hatten, breiteten sie das Wort aus, das zu ihnen von diesem Kind gesagt war. Und alle, vor die es kam, wunderten sich über das, was ihnen die Hirten gesagt hatten. Maria aber behielt alle diese Worte und bewegte sie in ihrem Herzen. Und die Hirten kehrten wieder um, priesen und lobten Gott für alles, was sie gehört und gesehen hatten, wie denn zu ihnen gesagt war. And as acht tage um waren und man das kind beschneiden musste, gab man ihm den namen jesus wie er genannt war von dem engel er er im mutterleib empfangen war and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone round them and they were filled with fear and the lord and the angel said to them Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb.
0: Amen. These are the very words of God. He may be seated this morning. So in German, I caught Christos, Bethlehem, Mary, Joseph, and sound sounded like Jesus. What, what's German for Jesus? Jesus? Jesus. Okay. All right. That's all I caught. Well, last week we read about the birth of Jesus. And it's something that history, as we look at the Old Testament had been anticipating for hundreds of years. And I think it's easy for us to underestimate the longing, the expectation, the anticipation of this incredible event. Because for us, it had already taken place. But for them, they were waiting for this day, and then it happens. From the first evil act in Genesis chapter 3, and the promise of the Savior, all of the Old Testament, a few thousand years of history, was waiting for the coming of a Savior, a rescuer, a deliverer, a hero, Along the way, certain prophecies were given, promises revealed by God through his servants, a promise that Emmanuel, God with us, would come, that he would be born of a virgin, born in the town of Bethlehem. And last week he arrived. God is here. We're not waiting for his coming. He showed up. So a summary of the birth story as we shared last week is that Joseph, the just, and Mary, the merciful, they leave Nazareth for the reason of census because Joseph had some property in Bethlehem. And so they travel to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown, and they settle into an upper room, a newlywed chamber, or the guest room of relatives uh, or, or a family that's willing to host a descendant of King David. And it came time for Jesus to be born, so Mary went into the main part of the house because there wasn't room in the guest room for that baby to come, and Jesus was born, wrapped and put to bed in the living room, either in a manger that was carved out of the floor or in a movable manger that could be moved into the family living space. That's what we talked about last week. And now this morning we read that common shepherds, they come and they give witness to the birth of Jesus. And all of these things, they happened in the shadow of the Roman Empire and in King Herod. So the birth of Jesus, it occurs in a common peasant home not far from Herodian, a mighty mountain palace. So here's a picture of it. So this, if you're driving from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which Bethlehem's almost like a suburb of Jerusalem. They're very close. And if you're driving, you'll see this mountainous hillside where Herod put and built a mighty palace. So when you think about the shepherds, they would have been walking right past this palace on the way to go find where Jesus was because Jesus wasn't in the palace. But yet his birth came with the announcement, I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, lying in a manger. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. So the shepherds, there's no way that they didn't see this palace en route to the home that Jesus was born in. And yet they find Jesus in a dirty place where animals are kept, lying in a manger, him being born in a common place help the shepherds realize he was born for the likes of them. The common and the poor. Mark 12, 37, it records of Jesus during his years of ministry, and the common people heard him gladly. So Jesus came for the common and the poor at his birth, and he also came during his years of teaching ministry. And God sent his son for the Jews, the common and the poor. We see that with the shepherds in their coming. In Matthew chapter 1, if you're taking notes, I know some people are taking notes in their Bible, you might want to go ahead and put Matthew chapter 1 as a part of this. I'm going to jump back and forth between Matthew and Luke this morning. But here's what happens in Matthew chapter 1, 20 and 21. Joseph, son of David, the angel Gabriel, shows up in a dream for Joseph and says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Jesus is Hebrew for the name Yeshua. Sometimes it's translated as Yeshua. But I know up in the Galilee, it's actually just Yesu. And the Hebrew word for save is Yasa. So there's actually a wordplay going on here. What the angel is saying is, You will name him Yesu, for he will Yasa his people. Jesus is the one who saves. But the question is, as we look at this first century Jewish community... They're in the Holy Land that is being occupied and oppressed by the Romans. In a situation of political and economic oppression, of course people want salvation. Specifically, deliverance from their oppressors. This is what the Jews were hoping for. The Jews obviously desired this. For such a community, there's little space to tolerate anyone talking about its sins and its need of salvation. When you're being oppressed, you're looking at all your problems outside of you. You're not looking inside to see what's going on there. I mean, if you think about being abused by an oppressor, you aren't going to look inward. You see your oppressor as the epitome of evil, not yourself. It takes a brave man or woman to tell this kind of community that it needs salvation from its own sins and the sins that it has committed. But this is what we find that Jesus is doing. So the question is, when Jesus came to save, what is it that he was saving the Jews from? Was he going to save them from the Romans? No, that's not what he came for. He came to save them from their separation from God. This is what Jesus wanted to do. Because it's the heart of the Father that he's willing that none should perish. So that's what he's after. One of the things that we're going to see as we go through Luke is the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And the reason that Jesus faced so much opposition is he concerned himself much with the kingdom of God and very little with the kingdom of man. The Jews really wanted Jesus to say, we want you to show up. I mentioned in the first sermon I preached in January on Live Dead, that in that sermon, I talked about how the Jews, as Jesus came in, he strode into Jerusalem, they said, Hosanna, which means save us. They were telling Jesus what to do. That's what they wanted. And because he doesn't do what they want, this is the conflict that we see for Jesus as he goes about his years of ministry. We need to concern ourselves with the kingdom of God. Because our biggest problem, our biggest challenge, is our need for saving. Our need of saving from the separation from God the Father. And this is what Jesus came to address. The problems we're facing today, for us, is the same problems that the Jews were facing in the first century. The problems that they were facing were not the Romans. The problems they were facing is their separation from a relationship, relationship with God. And we see that for ourselves. The problems we're facing today, they're not social, moral, political, or economic I talked about this back in October when I preached on Heal Our Land. We think this is our problem, but it's really not what our problem is. These issues are nothing new. These challenges have been around for a long time. The problem the Jews were facing is the same problem that we're facing. It's a spiritual problem. Song of Zechariah, we we read this. We talked about it as Zechariah sings. and This is in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So Zechariah speaks this message and everybody in that room is like, yes, that's a politically correct message. But then he continues and here's what he says. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. He's talking about his son, John the baptizer. John the baptizer will go before Jesus to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah knows the problems that the Jews were facing was not so much the Roman occupation. The problem they were facing is separation from God. The problem they were dealing with is their own evil hearts. But Jesus came to remedy all that. And that's what we need to keep in mind. The community's problem is not merely those who hate us, but it's their own sin. The oppressed are also sinners. May we not always look to the outside and say the problems are all out there. May we first examine where we're at and understand we've got to solve what's in here. And the Savior for sinners, here's the good news, He's a Savior for all because all of us fall short. You know, the problems you're facing in life, they have spiritual roots. An unbelieving, non-praying life is bound to lead you into trouble. I can't tell you how many people I talk to. The first thing I ask them as they're saying about all these compounding problems Have you taken it to Jesus? Have you prayed about that? Well, no. Why don't we start there? Why is that always the last resort? May I encourage you, start with prayer. Now, encourage the body to come alongside you as you face challenges, but let's please take these things to Jesus. Because the good news is, Jesus came for you. God sent his son for you. But we've got to be willing to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek his face, to seek Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you more than anything else, so that we can see real change. Because God desires a relationship with you. God sent his son to save us from our separation from him. He came for the Jews, the common, and the poor. But we also see that God sent his son for the nations, the wise, and the wealthy. Reading from Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Question to to ask is what is the wise men's country of origin? In the first century and several hundred years thereafter, the East was understood as Persia, and the word magi usually refers to people from Babylonia. But no matter what country they came from, here's what we know they were non Jewish, they were Gentiles. The shepherds represent Jews, and the wise men represent the nations. Jesus was worshipped early in his life by both Jews and Gentiles. To help us understand the location of the origin, we could take a look at the gifts that they brought. So this is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, "'After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy.' And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. What a response. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now let me quiz your narrative, okay? I'm trying to clean up some of our Christmas understanding of the story. How many wise men were there? Oh, I get three. We don't know. Does it say how many there were? No, we just come to assumptions. How many gifts did they bring? Three kinds. And They could have given five gifts of gold, three gifts of frankincense, two gifts of myrrh. We really don't know. So we don't know that there were three wise men, but because there's three different kinds of gifts, that's what we assume. But we really don't know. But here's what we know about the gifts. We know that gold was mined in Arabia. Biblical writers note that gold came from Arabia and Sheba. We see this in 1 Kings 9 and 10 and Job 28. So this is where we think that the gold came from. But more specifically, frankincense and myrrh are harvested from trees that only grow in southern Arabia. Wealthy dwellers of these desert regions would naturally have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A Justin Martyr, a Palestinian Christian from the 2nd century, he wrote about the birth of Jesus, and he talked about wise men from Arabia. So our wise men from the east, as far as we can tell, they were Arabs from Arabia. That's what we can find. Isaiah 60, it actually talks about the events of wise men visiting Jesus. Uh, This is actually a great Christmas text that I never hear preached. So Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness." Of your rising. So this is Isaiah writing here. But the question is, who is the you around whom the glory is shining and unto whose light the nations will come? That's what we need to figure out. And we're going to come back to that. But as you continue reading from Isaiah, here's what it says in verse 4. It says, your sons shall come from afar. You keep reading, 5 through 7. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. Does this sound familiar? I don't know if you've read this before in that way. And shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And what do they do when they meet Jesus? They worship him. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. Does that sound familiar? Is that not our Christmas story? It's amazing. Midian and Ephah are tribal lands in northern Arabia and Sheba. And it was the name for the part of southern Arabia from which the queen of Sheba came. The flocks of Kedar show the shepherds are also involved. So why are all these visitors coming from far and near? We need to ask ourselves that our questions. What or who is receiving all of this lavish attention as we look at Isaiah 60? When you get to verses 10 and 11 in this passage, it begins to talk about building up your walls and your gates. So this is what's interesting. Because you see, Isaiah was actually dreaming of Jerusalem. So Isaiah is saying, the wise men from the east, they're going to bring gold and frankincense to the shepherds. They're going to come and worship you, Jerusalem. But do they worship Jerusalem. No, they sure don't. The great light, did it shine around Jerusalem? Did the wise men come to worship and build up the walls of Jerusalem? Did the shepherds gather there? No. A light shone on Jesus in Bethlehem. And wealthy Arab chiefs, they come from Midian and Sheba with gifts of gold and frankincense. And shepherds gather at a home south of Jerusalem in Bethlehem. The great hopes for the city of Jerusalem, as declared in Isaiah 60, they're transferred to a child in a manger. The hopes and expectations for this city are seen as fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Isaiah promised special blessings for the city of Jerusalem. The expectation that Arabs would arrive with gifts and that shepherds would appear, a great light along with the glory of God, they would shine upon Jerusalem. But these promises are fulfilled in the birth of a child. The hopes and dreams of all the years, they shift from Jerusalem to a baby that's born in Bethlehem. And here's part of our takeaway as we look at Isaiah 60 and the significance of the wise men and shepherds coming. is The birth of Jesus is to be understood as our hopes and dreams. It should never be placed on a location or on any other object. Where should our hope lie? Absolutely in Jesus. But far too often doesn't our hope rest in so many other things. We put it in objects, we put it in places. But that's not where our hope should be. Our hope should be in the, in the only thing that lasts from now and into eternity. To our Creator who sent us here to begin with, our Savior who came one starry night to the sound of heavenly praise, worshiped by Jewish shepherds and Arab Magi. So I'd ask, what have you put your hope in? Is your hope in your home? Maybe even your kids? Maybe retirement? Your job? Any hope outside of Jesus is a misplaced hope. Put your hope in the King of Kings, the one who came for Jews and Gentiles, the common and the wise, the wealthy. And the poor, he is the only one who will never disappoint, which makes him worthy of all of our worship. And this leads me to my last point this morning that encountering Jesus should cause you to celebrate God. Look at the response of the people that are around Jesus for his birth narrative. Here's the response of the angels I love this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Think about this. Are angels in need of salvation? No, I love that they worship for the sake of others. They worship because Jesus came to save us. They worship as outsiders to say, This is an awesome thing that God has done. He sent his son to change the world. Is that our heart when we encounter Jesus? And Luke writes about Mary that she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She broke out in song at Elizabeth's house. We read about that. And now here, she talks with the shepherds, and she's just overwhelmed. Like it dawns on her that the Savior, the Rescuer, the Hero, the Deliverer, the Dragon Slayer, the Kingdom Giver, He's here in my present. He's my Son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He's here to be with us and to save us. And she's pondering all these things in her heart. Do you have that time sometimes when you're reading God's Word or just moments where you reflect on, man, God, what an awesome thing. And then there's the Arab Magi. Matthew records, we read it. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. They step into the presence of Jesus and they can't help but fall on their faces, humbling themselves to worship him. Meanwhile, the shepherds, they visit with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And here's what Luke records. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told to them. In short, encountering Jesus caused the angels, Mary, the Magi, and the shepherds to worship, to celebrate God, to treasure Him in their hearts, glorifying and praising God. Encountering Jesus should cause you to celebrate God. And here's why this matters because if you're not, here's the problem one of the greatest challenges within Christianity are people who say they believe in Jesus but who are no longer astonished and amazed at knowing him. That's a problem. Please don't let that be you. We're all going to have our off days. I know that. We're going to even have off years. I understand that. Days where things just don't go right. But if your life is a constant repetition of those kinds of days and months and you can't find joy in Jesus, even in the midst of those days, you likely need to make some adjustments in your life. First place to start, I know you're going to be surprised if you've been in the church for a year to hear where you start. It starts with the word abide. There we go. Somebody already said it. That's where you got to start. You need to spend time in the presence of Jesus. You need to do it daily, enamored with who he is. I talked about who Jesus was last week. Jesus who is gentle and great, just and merciful, awesome and safe. Our door into a relationship with God the Father. God We need to understand that Jesus, when he comes, we should be enamored with who he is. He provides us with meaning in this life and life forever with God. Jesus did not come to dazzle us by being born in a palace. He could have done that. He came to change our lives and with humble beginnings so that we understood that he came for us all. And if you have not become enamored with who God is, I just encourage you, pray. Talk about a prayer that God will answer. That's it. You say, God, I want more of you. I want to hunger and thirst for you more. God says, absolutely, zap, here you go. That's going to be a prayer that he answers immediately. Don't be a Zechariah going through the motions, your faith journey on cruise control. Daily take time to abide. And if you're not sure how, if you've never set aside time in your day to read God's word and to pray, here's a very simple way to start. I shared this at our men's conference last week. It's something called SOAP. So what I would encourage you is we're in the Gospel of Luke. Simply read a chapter of Luke a day. So you could wake up tomorrow morning Read Luke chapter 1, and what SOAP is, it starts with Scripture. And all you need to do is pull out a verse or two that begins to speak to you, and you write out that verse in a journal. Write it out word for word. The next place you go is you go to O, which is observations. What observations can you make? You start asking questions. Are there some words that are being repeated? Who's the audience? What's happening in this scene? Start to list out some observations. Then you go to A, to application. What is God speaking to me about these verses? What should I do in response to what I've read? What does God want to do through my life as I read through his word? And then the last thing is P, that you respond in prayer. Simply write out a prayer of God, I want to apply this to my life. What it does is you begin to engage with the word this way. Instead of just reading a chapter and going about your day, you begin to soak and immerse yourself and it begins to change who you are. This could take 15 minutes. Read a chapter, walk through soap, 15 minutes. But if you could spend 15 minutes a day with Jesus, if you're doing nothing right now, how much different could your life look like a month from now, as you take time with Jesus like that. If you didn't take notes on this, I think those slides probably went quickly, and I'm sorry. We have notes, papers in the prayer room, and you could grab that on your way out this morning. And it details this process and gives you an example of how to do that. But I encourage you, buy daily. But don't stop there, dive into the church. Don't be sitting on the sidelines here. Man, jump in and get in the game. Some awesome things are happening. We get to share those every morning at our volunteer breakfast. It's incredible what God does week to week in this place. So I encourage you, be a part of that. And you can also jump in on Wednesdays. We're going through a connect group, Naturally Supernatural, and it's all about asking for more of God in your life. So join us on Wednesdays at 6.30. I encourage you, please don't stay on the sidelines. Be all in. Spend time with Jesus daily. Engage on a Sunday. Come out on Wednesday because we want you connected to God and connected to his body. Become enamored with who Jesus is and leave from this place with praise on your lips. Encountering Jesus should cause you to celebrate him everywhere you go. So my prayer is that you have encountered the presence of Jesus in this place, be that with song, as you gave in the offerings, as you spent time in prayer. Obviously, as you hear his word, we want you to know who he is. Because as I close, my prayer is that you can sing with him as the treasure of your heart, and that you can praise him. And then as you leave from this place, may you leave as the shepherds did, who continue to glorify God and praise God as they went. May your faith become contagious to those around you. How about we stop passing sicknesses around and we start passing Jesus around? Amen? Amen? (laughs) Man, how could your outlook on life look different if you found praising God, found time to praise Him throughout your week? How could your marriage improve if you were thinking about God Monday through Saturday and not just on Sunday? How could your work environment change and be more positive as you learn to praise God daily? So I'd like to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as we're going to close in song, you know, we read in Luke that the angels declared to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward mankind. In Jesus, we can find peace with God. He made it that way. We can be made whole. You know, many versions of the Bible, they translate this verse with peace on earth and goodwill toward mankind in this way. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That's what the ESV says. Jesus came to bring peace and goodwill to mankind, but there is a catch. You must be willing to choose Jesus and choose to dedicate your life to him. If if you are lacking in peace, may I introduce you to Jesus this morning. And you've got to pursue him daily. It can't be a one-time decision. God does not want anyone to live separately from him, but you have to make that choice. So I'd like to ask as we close in song and prayer this morning, are you living a life without peace? A life without God? you have a desire to find that peace today which only he can bring with every head bowed here this morning we're just going to close and give you an opportunity to say I want to follow Jesus I don't want to be missing out on peace anymore and if that's you today and you say you know what I've not had a relationship with God but I desire today I want to find the peace that only he can bring simply raise your hand and we're going to pray with you before you go today because we want you to leave from here with peace that only the prince of peace can bring anybody would say that's me this morning I want to follow Jesus I want to give my life over to him make a decision to follow God today I'm going to close this in prayer and then we're going to close in song but if that's you and you'd say you know what I just I'm struggling with that thought but I do want to make that decision Pastor Mark our youth pastor who opened the service today he'll be right up here in the front and as we dismiss and go out the back doors I encourage you just come to the front meet with Pastor Mark grab one of the floor hosts they'd be happy to bring you to Pastor Mark as well to say I know I need a relationship with God but I just don't know where to go from here to do that God, I do pray that you would bring peace into hearts and lives. God, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, that you sent him for Jews and Gentiles, for the common, for the poor, for the wealthy, the wise. And God, I pray that you would bring peace into people's lives. If they are lacking that, Lord, I pray that you would push them to a place where they're spending daily time with you in your presence, that you would bring the peace and wholeness that their life is lacking. As we close in song, May your praise truly ever be on our lips, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. Jesus, we want to praise you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.